From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Moshtaba is 29 years old. He's lived in Australia for nearly a decade, but last year he was placed into immigration detention. Since then, he hasn't been able to see his wife and young son, and may never again. From Kevin Rudd to Julia Gillard to Tony Abbott to Scott Morrison, Moshtaba's life has been shaped by the immigration policies that all of them have implemented. Today, journalist Abdul Hekmat on Moshtaba's story and the way our system continues to punish the most vulnerable. Abdul, could you start off by telling me a bit about Moshtaba and how he came to be in Australia? Moshtaba fled Afghanistan because he was a Hazara. He was prosecuted in Afghanistan. Uh, he arrived in Christmas Island uh, around June 2012. So Mustafa Neiman, I'm 20, uh, almost 29 years old from Afghanistan, and I am Hazara. I arrived... I spent there for a few months, and it was a quick turnaround. He was released in the community uh, and a bridging with uh, sometimes in late 2012. I'm not sure how many months from Christmas Island to Kirtin, from Kirtin to Darwin, and from Darwin, I got released to Sydney with a bridging visa. Um, he was about 20 years old. He, he hasn't travelled uh, outside Afghanistan before and, and it was uh, quite new to him. But he said that he was really happy at the beginning that he was in the community, but uh, soon he realised that he, he could not actually pursue his interests. He wanted to study, he wanted to work, but uh, neither of them was possible because he did not have a work rights and he, did not, he was not able to study as well. You're not, you're not allowed to study, you're not getting any medical or something. And I told her, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? How do I find my rent? How do I, I need help? So he, he said that he did not have any money. He was, uh, he was sleeping uh, um, on the street and he was uh, sleeping in the park and he, uh, he was basically homeless. I, could, I didn't know anybody and everything happened so fast. And I just, I just didn't know. I'm sitting in a train with a bag of clothes. What do I do? Mm, so what happened next in Moshtaba's life? Yeah, he was um, he was living by himself and he was alone. He was homeless and then he met Marsha at the end of 2012 and that changed his life. Uh, and the way he met was really kind of interesting. I was going to city on the train. I had a little ball in my hand. I was playing with the ball. That's what I met Marsha. It was 26th of December. He was traveling a train um, in Western Line in Sydney, uh, and then he came across um, a young girl in the train, and he uh, initiated the talk, and they spoke to for uh, on the train. She she put it on her phone in the the translate on the phone, and I used to write it in my language, and she could she was reading that in, in English. Uh, soon soon they fell in love. Mustafa told Marsha how he felt about her and that he was a refugee who had arrived by boat. And I explained it, and then she wrote back uh, that she, her mom was an immigrant as well, and not to worry. And they told me She declared the same affection, telling him that she was the daughter of a Philippine immigrant. And Mashaba told me that Marsha saved me. She took me, she said, OK, I'll look after you, come. She took me into, into that house. Um, and he said that he had no home, and he 
she gave her shelter, uh, she cared for him. And so after he met Marsha, can you tell me a bit about what was happening with his, his visa situation during this time? When uh, Mushtaba met Marsha, his visa was rejected by the Department of Home Affairs. A few months later, his refugee application was also rejected by refugee tribunal. The tribunal accepted that he was a Hazara and he would face harm if he returned to, Af- to his village in Afghanistan, but said that he could re- relocate elsewhere in the country, possibly Kabul, where there is no real chance of harm if he go, he go back to Kabul. Mm. And is that the case? Because there is still a lot of violence in Afghanistan. So would someone like Moshtaba be safe if they were to go and live in Kabul? Well, Afghanistan is, is a very dangerous place for Hazaras. Thousands of Afghans marched through Kabul in the largest demonstration seen in the capital in recent times. They were protesting against the murder of seven people from the minority Hazara community. And Kabul has witnessed um, you know, a few attacks happen in the last few months. As students rush to get out of Kabul University, gunshots could be heard close by. About two weeks ago, uh, the Taliban attacked um, a very reputable university in Afghanistan, Kabul University, and killed about uh, 22 students. Witnesses say attackers entered the campus through its north gate and started shooting indiscriminately. So there's a, there's a generalized violence that happens in, uh, kind of in Afghanistan, but Hazaras have been specifically targeted. Local leaders claim in their first five months of rule, the Taliban executed up to 15,000 Hazaras. Uh, not only in the capital, but right across the country, Hazaras have been beheaded. The charred remains of yet another bombing. And the worshipping place were attacked. How much longer will the blood of the Shias be spilled? How much longer will the government ignore us? The government has to act on our... So it doesn't actually correspond to the reality of what is, what is going on, on the ground and what Hazara has, has experienced in recent uh, years and months that they have been attacked by the Taliban specifically because, because they're Hazara. And so knowing all of this then, when his application was refused by the tribunal, what did Mochaba decide to do? After the tribunal's decision uh, in Mushaba's case, he continued to live in the community with no visa. Uh, the couple defied Mosha's family opposition to her being the Muslim refugee, and a year later, Mosha gave birth to Adam. We, we, we owe some money and we bought a furniture, and then I was working, I got a car, and Mosha was pregnant. Adam came, Adam, Adam came, and then we were so happy. We were so, everything was right. When Adam was born, Mushtaba said that it was the happiest moment of his life. Um, he said that he lost everything, and Marsha and Adam was uh, giving them hope uh, that he could celebrate life in Australia. So he was, he was really, despite the difficulties they were going through, he had no work rights, his status was, was in limbo, but he, he had this, uh, you, know, you know, new child, and Adam was born. And, and he was, he was really happy back then. We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday paper. 
For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Abdul, in 2013, the Australian government introduced new rules for asylum seekers, a code of conduct. Can you tell me about that code of conduct? Yeah, it was in December 2013 when Scott Morrison was the immigration minister. He introduced a code of behaviour for asylum seekers who are being released uh, on a bridging visa in the community. Uh, They were bound by a list of expectations while their uh, claim for protection has been uh, assessed uh, in Australia. So the code of expectation were that the asylum seeker have to obey the certain law, refrain from spreading rumours, swearing in public, willing anyone or lying to government officials. Mm-hmm. So this code of behaviour is, is highly punitive. Uh, somebody in Australia cannot go to prison until he is proven guilty beyond doubt. But an asylum seeker who lives in the community if he is reported to the police uh, by member of public, and then automatically, uh, if the Department of Home Affairs inform about it, their visa could be revoked and they go to detention centre. And there is no recourse, there is no way that asylum seeker could get out from detention centre going to court about it. Because the immigration minister, he is like a god figure. They can take or give life. So... Asylum seekers who live in the community they call living here, signing this code of behaviour, is like living in an open prison. Mm-hmm. And so how did this code of conduct come to affect Mushtaba? Mushtaba has been living in the community for the past eight years and he, he hasn't had work rights or access to Medicare and he has lived uh, almost half of his life in detention centre. He has been living with uh, with a lot of depression and anxiety and trauma uh, because of the, his uncertainty over his visa. I, mean, I got to the point that I knew I cannot do anything about it. And my depression and anxiety goes so bad. It goes really bad, really bad. I knew that I needed help, but I couldn't get psychologists or psychiatrists because I couldn't afford them. And the way to cope was uh, to drinking. But I start drinking. I start drinking, self-medicating myself, and my drinking got me into problem with drink driving. Mushtaba breached a score of behaviour uh, for drinking in the New Year's Eve at the end of 2018, which led to the cancellation of his, his driving licence. It wasn't the drink driving that led him to be taken to Willowood, but it was shouting and swearing public. Uh, you know, sometimes he actually could uh, go outside home, and then uh, start shouting uh, in the street that he was leaving, and that woke on his neighbor. They called the police, and the police came and asked uh, him about his situation, and he was taken to a police station where they found out that he was an asylum seeker living in the community, 
And that's actually what they informed the Department of Home Affairs because he has breached his code of behavior. Uh, and then he was taken to Willowood. And the first one I came here not long ago, I asked them, what, the first one I came to Willowood, I asked them, what do I have to do? They said, nothing, you just have to sit until the minister, he might give you a visa, he might deport you, he might, he might, we don't know. And so Mushtaba is back in immigration detention now. You spoke to him recently. What did he say to you? What is he thinking about his future? He was very angry and he was very furious. Uh, and he said that how his life has been shattered and, and he has been separated from his wife and child for the past uh, 18 or 19 months uh, while he has been held in Hollywood. It is... Uh... It is very hard for me because I really, really miss my son. And, I really, uh, and he said that there's no choice um, left for him. He cannot be released in the community uh, to join his son and wife. His life is in limbo. Because in Afghanistan, the Taliban, they put a bullet in your head and you're dead. But in here, they don't put a bullet in your head. They kill like other ways, like this, like for the passages. Um, um. Mushtaba is still in Willowood. He doesn't know what is going to happen. The Sran border force told him that he could not be sent to Afghanistan due to uh, the pandemic because they could not send him a scout uh, on a plan. So he is still in limbo and currently he is pursuing some legal avenues whether he is able to uh, be released from in the community Abdul you're a Hazara refugee yourself and you've also spent years reporting on Australia's immigration system so i'm wondering can you tell me how that impacts the way that you relate to Mushtaba and his story I have many things common in with Mushtaba and that's why that's why i have been in touch with him for the past 6 years um I was uh, almost the same age, about 20 years uh, old when I arrived to Australia as a refugee from Afghanistan uh, back in early 2001. Um, I spent about five months in Curtin Detention Center. I know the weight, uh, the uncertainty and despair one has to go through. I cannot imagine that Mushtaba has spent almost half of his life in immigration detention center. And I've been given a chance to leave in Australia uh, after three years Leaving on a temporary protection visa, I have, you know, I was uh, given a permanent protection visa. I um, I finished university back in 2019. I, I spent about eight or nine years supporting um, refugees and asylum seekers, working in different organizations. But thinking about Mushtaba, he hasn't been given a chance, not even given a right to work and even access to medical. But instead, he languishes in immigration detention center. He doesn't have any future. What is going to happen to him? At the moment, he has been separated from his wife, his child. He is somebody whose life has been ruined by immigration detention, by immigration system in Australia. The way that the immigration system is is, is very punitive uh, at the moment and punishes a lot of people in a different way. Uh, and and uh, Mushtaba is one example. He, um, when I speak to him, uh, given that he has gone through, he's a quite a very resilient man, and he always um, tell me that how he uh, could make his life if he if he was given 
Alistair Chan as able to work. He said that he would he would study, he would actually he could be a, a successful businessman. When I speak to him, given that he what he has gone through, and he's still he's, he's hopeful and he thinks that he could uh, rebuild his life again if he's given a chance. Abdul, thank you for talking to me about all of this today. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks very much. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the South Australian government has announced a strict lockdown for the next six days. As of midnight, all schools, pubs, cafes and restaurants have closed. People won't be able to go outside their homes and outdoor exercise will be banned. South Australian Premier Stephen Marshall called the measures a necessary circuit breaker to limit the spread of the virus. And the New South Wales Transport Minister, Andrew Constance, has asked the state's anti-corruption watchdog to investigate his own government's purchase of a parcel of land in Sydney at three times the estimated value. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.